And then the other thing that sort of helped me get over that imposter syndrome is thinking about, okay, well, if it's not me, who else would it be? And I looked around my peers and I thought, well, if it's them, it can be me. Damn it, I could do this job and I could do it at least as well as them. So I will put my hat in the ring. Kia ora, hello everyone. It's my pleasure to be sitting here today with Antonia Watson, who is the CEO of ANZ New Zealand, which is a brand that will be well known to everyone that's listening to this podcast. Welcome, Antonia. Kia ora, thank you. Thanks for coming in. It's always great to talk to high-profile leaders of really big businesses and, and hear about how they got to where they've come to in their careers. So perhaps if, if that's where we start, you know, talking about your journey to becoming CEO of ANZ, did you wake up wanting to be a banker one day when you were five years old? What was what did you want to be as a kid? No, not at all. Probably I went through the air hostess, nurse. Gosh, I'd have been a terrible nurse. I went through all those phases, but I think it was I think sixth form when we started doing accounting. I loved accounting. It appealed to every bit of me about the logic behind it. My parents sent me off to do one of those psychometric things, and, and I was told that I like aesthetically pleasing things, but in my case, that might be a perfectly balanced balance sheet. So the, the accounting career probably kicked off from them, and that's what I, that's how I started my career was in accounting. Fantastic. I can relate to that. I think if you are a mathematical person, you can find the elegance and the efficiency in, in numbers. And, I mean, you mentioned your parents obviously had some influence. Who have the key influences been in your career, and, and what has inspired your growth? I mean, definitely my parents. You certainly, I went to a, an all-girls school. I'm one of three daughters. My mother's actually one of four daughters. She was. I've got this amazing photo of her being admitted to the bar in the um, in the sixties, and she's the only woman outside the Supreme Court in a sea of men in black suits, and she's wearing what looks like a cream suit and a hat and gloves. So that's sort of the starting point of you know you you can do anything, and and this idea that you know. What, I never felt that anything was going to hold me back from doing what I wanted to do. So they were probably the really early influences. And I think over the course of my career, there's more. I've never been a big one for having formal mentors. I've definitely had people who have sponsored me over the time. But a lot of it's just been looking at other leaders and emulating what I've liked about their style and trying not to do what I haven't liked about their style. Mm, so quite an organic pathway. Yeah. Very organic. There was definitely no set roadmap at all. And certainly when I was at KPMG, I started as a doing my, I did my chartered accounting then. The one thing I didn't want to do was go into banking. Mm. And here you are. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting, I think, to know that your own assumptions of where you're going to go and what you can be will be challenged along the way and you might actually end up in a different position to what you originally thought. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I when I was CFO of ANZ New Zealand, if you'd asked me what I saw as my next step, I would have 100% said to be CFO of a listed company. So whilst ANZ is listed, obviously I'm not the group CFO that has to manage all the equity investors and all that and the investor relations side of things. And so I thought I'd, I thought that's what I'd like to do. And next minute I'm head of retail and business banking and on a path to being CEO. And that's certainly, even then, that's not that long ago, I didn't see myself as a C, even a banker. I saw, I still saw myself as an accountant. Mm, yeah, isn't that interesting how things can change? And I mean, I think for everyone in their career, whatever level they're at, there's always challenge. It's just part of being a part of the working world or part of life. What have been some challenges for you along the way and how have you overcome them? Always, you know, learning a new role and a part of that is listening to the people that work for you or you work with. A big challenge I've overcome somewhat <laughs> 
is imposter syndrome. I mean, I still think in this role, one day someone's going to find me out and realise what, how on earth did we make her CEO of ANZ New Zealand? And I've certainly seen that, you know, even when I became CFO of ANZ New Zealand, I went through a period of looking, you know, before I was offered the role, it was sort of, do I want to do this? Everyone's saying, you know, you could be the CFO one day. Well, do I really want to do this? I watched my boss doing like this and and, and I don't want to run my life like that. And a couple of things was the, the first one was you don't need to do things the way your boss did them. I mean, he, he chose to write emails at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I don't choose to do that. But that was because he wanted to go to his kid's sport after school. So that, you know, that's a fair call. And then the other thing that sort of helped me get over that imposter syndrome is thinking about, okay, well, if it's not me, who else would it be? And I looked around my peers and I thought, well, if it's them, it can be me. Damn it, I can do this. I could do this job and I could do it at least as well as them. So I will put my hat in the ring, so to speak. So that was quite a big learning moment of actually putting yourself in the role or putting someone else in your role rather than just thinking, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I, I haven't had background in treasury. I don't really know tax and all those sorts of things rather than thinking that, thinking, well, neither does anyone else that's in line for the role. Mm, mm. I love it when really senior leaders come on this podcast and actually share insights like that because I think a lot of times when we look at senior leaders in the market we think oh they've got it all together and they are so well skilled in every single area and then to hear someone that's in such a high position like that you're in say well actually you know I didn't have strength in one area but I backed myself and I thought well I'll give it a go and what's the worst that could happen and why shouldn't it be me is is really inspiring because I do think that a lot of people need to hear that. And I think, you know, all the research would tell you it's an even worse problem with women. Absolutely. So that's something that, you know, at least they can see people like us and see it, see us in roles and, and think there's someone that looks like me. You know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Correct. Yeah. And we absolutely need to have those role models and, and have people looking at that and thinking, yeah, it could be me and I could I could be in that position. So if we look at the current work environment, what advice would you give to those entering the workforce or looking to move up in their career? The first one's just be flexible and look for opportunities and don't think that you have to have it mapped out from the day you start your career because the only thing I had mapped out from the day I started my career is I wanted to get that chartered accounting qualification mm. and then I wanted to go overseas. Mm -hmm. That was it. And then you, then I took opportunities. I took opportunities to move countries. I took op opportunities to move laterally. And I think, you know, thinking that you'll start, I mean, say in an ANZ context, branch manager, regional manager, general manager, CEO, you know, that, that's just not how career paths work anymore. Mm. So thinking laterally as well and, and how you can broaden your horizons. One of the roles I had was in, I was head of finance and then head of what we called infrastructure, kind of like being a COO for Morgan Stanley in Australia. It was a big fish in a small pond, so I actually got to cover a lot of stuff mm. at a small, and you know, at a small scale. That then prepared me for bigger roles, and people would look at those sorts of thinking, things on your CV and go, "Well, actually, you've got a few, you know, a few strings to your bow from doing things like that." So, you know, looking for those broader roles, telling people what you're interested in, what you mm. want. You know, if if you often, I remember one of our products guys at ANZ came and talked to me once when I was CFO, and he said, "You know, I look around the table, and it's your job that I'd." I'd like one day. And you're going, well, I'd never would have known that because you're not in that natural radar of someone that you'd put in the finance bucket. And he ended up getting a CFO role at ANZ in a different division, and he's now CFO of Suncorp in New Zealand. Mm. So there you go. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, you really do have to put it out there because mm. people can't read your mind necessarily. Yeah. Mm. 
And then if we talk more specifically about your role of CEO at ANZ in New Zealand, um, you do have a lot of stakeholders. You've got the board, you've got investors, you have over a million customers across New Zealand. What do you think are the most important skills as CEO to sort of balancing all of those needs and meeting those needs? God, yeah, well, we've, got, we've got more than 2 million customers. I think the biggest thing about it is remembering all the stakeholders, wow, sort of not forgetting. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've got, I've sort of got two bosses. My, my formal boss is Sir John Key, the chair of our board, but I've also got a reporting line into Australia to our group CEO. Mm-hmm. You, ca- you know, you can't forget that there are both those stakeholders. You can't forget, and I think that's something we 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 realise far more in business these days when you talk about ESG and all that, all those sorts of things. There's so much more stakeholder-wise than, than just your shareholders. There's regulators, there's the society in general, there's this there's far more focus on pure profitability and more what you're giving back to, I guess, giving back to society. So the, the number one thing is just not forgetting about them and when you're thinking about something, thinking through all those groups of stakeholders, you know, almost that, that stakeholder map, what is this person going to think, what is this group going to think and just remembering that you've got all these stakeholders. Mm, it's a lot to keep in balance. And then, you know, specifically in that role as CEO of ANZ, what would you say are some of the biggest learnings that you've had? The first cab off the rank in this role was resilience. For those who know the history of how I got the role, there was certainly a um, ANZ was in the spotlight at the time and there was a big lack, loss of trust in our staff because of some circumstances with my predecessor and we were in the paper every day and I was being personally talked about in the paper every day and I'd wake up every morning feeling sick, you know, physically sick. Great for the weight loss, by the way. <laughs> but then over time you sort of realise that these roles actually do come with a spotlight and you learn to live with that spotlight and you know you grow a thick skin if you read all the comments and social media on you know some posts now and then you'll probably you know want to go and curl up in bed again but you you either don't do it or you realize that that's part of what comes with the role and I think that learning that resilience that you get from the spotlight I think wasn't a really important lesson for me the other thing too that is that sort of comes with that as well is is understanding that your influence, you know, you, you forget. I just feel like I'm me and I'm the same old person. But if I say something that someone at work calls it the A-bomb, you know, if I say something or do something, it gets noticed. Mm. And, you know, it might be off the cuff, but someone might take it really seriously. So you have to re- remember that you've sort of got a big stick or a big wand, whatever you want to call it, in your hand mm. when, you, when you're when you in a role like this. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a big role to fill. And I, I do remember reading your interviews around that time. And one thing that you said in the Herald, I think, that really stuck with me was they're not talking about me when they're being negative. They're talking about the role and I have to separate. And I always thought that was a really great way to express it because CEOs are in such tough positions and people do make Mm. really tough comments and you do kind of need to remember that behind that that's a person and they have a whole other home life and that work is is not their entire world so that was a that was a Julia Gillard I did I went on a sort of a a zoom call I guess with her in a Mm. small group over COVID that I was asked to do and she was the one you know when people said someone said to her you know how did you cope with it when you were prime minister and she said that I put Julia Gillard the person and Julia Gillard the prime minister into two different boxes and it was such great advice Mm, mm, definitely something to remember and what would you say are your key milestones and achievements while you've been at CEO of ANZ New Zealand? Oh, that's a hard one. I mean, it's, it's been, gosh, it's already been four years. I mean, the first one was rebuilding the trust in mm. that time frame in 2019. And we did that 
know, we we got that achieved over the course of that year, which was really great because we then went into COVID, which which was sort of <laughs> sort of the, the next milestone. And you know, we, we went into COVID with a with I guess the rebuilt trust and actually improved our engagement score over that period of time, which isn't you know, there's plenty of businesses around the world that went went the opposite way, as someone told me the other day. But you know, being able to give our staff a sense of their importance as part of the response to COVID, yeah. be constantly communicating, being able to just give them the, sh- the certainty that they would have roles and that we'd keep paying them because it was such an uncertain time. But they played just an amazing job with our customers in terms of helping them because you remember we sort of forget how uncertain it was yes. and you didn't know what was going to happen with your job, you didn't know how long it was going to last for you, you couldn't leave your house. Um, our staff really pulled it out of the box. So getting getting through that period was a um, was a big milestone. And then I guess, you know, more recently, um, making the call to just to do a, a I guess a multi year transformation to future proof, futurize, futurize. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> our bank in terms of technology at its core, mm. modernizing our technology, but also the journey that we need to go on to really leverage that ability around people and process and culture and customer and all those sorts of things. Mm. Well, that's a good segue to the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You know, I do feel like the work environment is changing very rapidly at the moment. So we do have the rise of artificial intelligence. We've got a whole new generation of workers coming through. Maybe can you talk a little bit more about how you are preparing yourself for the future of work in that context? Yeah, it's it's multifaceted, I think, is the overarching thing. Even now, I mean, we've done so much work on diversity and inclusion over the years, and I'm super proud that my leadership team is more than 50% women, mm. which I think would be pretty unusual in banking worldwide. Mm. But despite that, we still don't look like our community overall, and we don't look like our customer base overall. And that is part of the future of work, because part of the future of work is what's going to happen to our demographics in the future. And it's going to be significant, you know, the Pākehā base of the workforce is not going to be the size it is anymore. That's because our communities that are growing are not Pākehā. And if we're not better at getting the Māori, Pacifica, Asian up and through into the senior roles, you know, we won't have a workforce to choose from in the future. So if we're really thinking future focused, that that diversity is something we absolutely have to think about. And then the other big thing is the skills you know that the skills will be different. They'll be, you know, more of the of the mechanics of the jobs might be done by you know straight through processing or you know or potentially AI. But you're still going to need that warmth, the human touch, mm-hmm. that the ability to talk to a person, the ability to to advise your customers. We'll need more in the sort of data techie space. You know, risk has been a big focus of ours across all things, you know, we've always been very good at things like credit risk and market risk, but all the mm. non-financial risks yep. that are appearing these days. So, you know, there's a, there's a few cohorts of capability that we're really looking to build as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think risk register spreadsheets are growing longer, <laughs> longer and longer. And what are some of ANZ's more longer term goals? I think it's it's that future fit, mm. right? I mean, we're, we're, we're in a privileged position. We've got, you know, over 2 million customers you know, we, we've, we're in this amazing position to enhance and look after their financial well-being. And the tools that we have to do that are getting better and better and better. So it, it isn't just, you, you don't only have a conversation with a customer these days face-to-face when they come into a branch. I mean, no one virtually ever comes into a branch. There's all these other tools that we've got from 
in-app pop-ups, from personalised communications that we can do to to help our customers on that financial wellbeing journey. So, you know, being future fit about being able to do that is very much a long-term goal. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of banking as a as a sector is that it really is lifelong relationships with customers. You know, it's from when parents set up a bank account for the baby when it's born right through to, you know, you're 101 and you're maybe dealing with some estate things. Yeah. It's a whole lifelong relationship. Yeah, and that, that's exactly right. And I think that's why when you think about the conduct and culture journey we've been on, you know, since probably prior to the Australian Royal Commission, mm. you know, why is that? Because because we've got a lifelong relationship. You don't mm. buy, you know, go and buy a tube of toothpaste and, and the relationship's sort of over. The product is enduring. So mm. we have to we have to take responsibility for that and make sure it remains fit for purpose and all those sorts of things. Mm, absolutely. And what makes you personally excited for ANZ for the next five to ten years? Ah, well, I talked about, I guess, our role in customers' financial well-being, but I guess the other thing too, when you think about some of the big challenges that we have as a nation, I think it's not just New Zealand. There's things like housing, infrastructure, climate adaptation. I really think that banks have got a role to play in that, and we mm. can play a role. So it's really exciting that we can hopefully help with those you know, big, hairy challenges over the course of the next few years. Mm, yeah, we're definitely at an inflection point, I think, for, for development, and we will see that over the next decade. It's been awesome talking to you this morning. We, one thing we do at the end is end with our quickfire round, so we'll crack into that. What are your favourite hobbies outside of work? Eating, drinking, cooking, the things that I eat, walking and reading. Mm-hmm. And what is your favourite book or podcast that you've... Read or listen to lately? <laughs> lately, so I couldn't recommend more the Thursday Murder Club series by Richard Osman. It's it's set in a retirement village in the UK, but the characters and it's just hilarious. But the most recent one, so book four I've just read, is called The Last Devil to Die, and its its plot is around romance scams, which is incredibly topical. For me as a banker, but you know, having that fictionalised, you know, the, the real challenges that people go through and the and the criminal networks that run these things was fascinating. Mm, mm, I agree with that. Those that's a really good series. I've got the third one next to my bed, and my husband's saying, "Are you finished that yet?" Because <laughs> he wants to read it too. I just love Elizabeth. <laughs> I like Joyce. Oh, <laughs> Joyce is hilarious. Me. The characterisation is brilliant. Yeah. So pick those up if you haven't read those. What's your favourite quote? One I heard lately, which I think's really apt these days is have strong opinions lightly held because you can th- you can feel that this polarization of opinion at the moment and the absolute unwillingness from people to look at other sides and I think that you know all very well have the strong opinion but also be open to being convinced that you, you know yours isn't the only right so to speak mm. and I would imagine that's very important for you as well in your in your role what is the best piece of advice that you've received? Someone once told me, fake it till you make it. And that was quite a good way of helping overcome that imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. that was about, you know, standing up with your hands on your hips. You know, I am good. I can do this. I can speak in front of all these people and sort of talk yourself into acting the part until you start to get the degree of comfort that you can actually do it more easily, you know, by nature. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. And last but not least, what is your definition of success? Probably very corny, but being happy, being Mm. happy with your life. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. It's always nice speaking to the most senior leaders in the market and we really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.
The information provided in this podcast is a guide and is intended for general information purposes only. The information is not investment advice. The information should not be relied upon as a substitute for detailed advice from a professional advisor. The podcast may contain opinions or forward-looking statements and actual results may vary from what is expressed in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of NZX. NZX Limited is not liable for any loss suffered through relying on the information in this podcast. NZX makes no warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information in this podcast. All intellectual property rights in the content of this podcast are owned or used under license by NZX and NZX's written consent is required to use, redistribute or reproduce the content or use it to create other works.